Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and I host the Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other podcast. You can find us at politicsandreligion.us. That's politicsandreligion.us. We are your home for edifying, provocative, and fun discussions among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of screamers and extremists dominating the conversation and you want to join us and take some of that space back, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you appreciate some nuance and just having a little fun, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. And remember, we're real easy to find. It's politicsandreligion.us. Hope to see you soon. We'd love to have you join the conversation on talking politics and religion without killing each other. Yeah, and it's also true that some people think this work is about being moderate, that dialogue is about all bringing us to the political center, right? And actually, dialogue is a place of passion and conviction. I think done right, we can hear each other's frustrations, fears, and deep passions, right? If you believe something is true and really important, I want to know. I want to hear it. Wouldn't that be amazing for our country if we could do that? The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Corey Nathan, guest hosting here today. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for joining us for Respect, Rebel, Repeat, Subversive Friendships for Divided Times. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Subversive Friendships for Divided Times. As we increasingly geographically sort ourselves and ideologically silo ourselves, like Monica Guzman was discussing a few weeks ago, it becomes ever more imperative to cut across those unhealthy trends and develop some subversive friendships for divided times. In today's podcast, we meet one such pair of fantastically dissimilar friends, Dr. Jacob Hess, author of You're Not As Crazy As I Thought, but you're still wrong. <laughs> Definitely a book I got to get for the uh, for, for one of my Christmas socks or something like that. And you're also joined by Village Square founder Liz Joyner. It's a great conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Jacob and Liz have been rebelling together for about a decade now, and they're not only convinced liberals and conservatives are better together, but they are obstinately bound and determined to buck the stultifying groupthink and start a trend. This program is facilitated by Leon Kong, the director of operations of Village Square. Vanessa Rouse, who you know very well, introduces Leon, and then Leon introduces Vanessa as the moderator. It's all really cute, and I'm sure you'll love it. Uh, but you're in great hands with Leon and Vanessa and the whole crew, so time to turn it over to them for proper introductions. Vanessa, take it away. Let's get on with respect, rebel, repeat. That's what we're all here for. Does any, did anyone bring their best disagreeing friend? We have a little, little gift for you. 
Not so much. So we planned for that. Oh, yes. Well, we knew you were coming. <laughs> and you probably already have figs. Um, so, you know, we, we really did plan for that because this is exactly one of the problems that we're trying to solve. Even though you may have a best disagreeing friend that's just not here with you, but the point is, is that we really are living in our silos. And we hope to show you the importance tonight of reaching out across the aisle and um, getting to know your fellow Americans because my experience has been that there are some things, some insights that we really need to hook on to. So um, hopefully we will be inspired tonight. And so, it's time to introduce, um, oh wait, I forgot one important announcement that has to do with these right here. So we have a couple, just a couple of quick rules and one is um, no team clapping. And so what that means is when your side starts to say something that you like and then you clap and then the other side says something that you don't like and then you like roar. Um, so let's not do that. We ask you to uh, just keep an open mind and listen to all viewpoints. That's why we're here. And then um, these are civility bells. We're gonna plant them in the audience. Um, one with a left-leaning person and one with a right-leaning person. And um, if we need a little reminder along the way, that's what these are for. So we hope to have, we expect to have a civil discussion tonight. All right, now I'm gonna turn it over to Leon to introduce our moderator, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> and our moderator for tonight is Vanessa. <laughs> Yay. All right, so Vanessa joined uh, Village Square in early 2020 as the membership coordinator and producer of our podcast, uh, Village Squarecast. And after producing and airing more than 60 of our events, um, she has guzzled all the Kool-Aid and is a full-on passionate believer in our unique model of ground-up bridge building in local communities. Uh, her passion makes her a natural fit as our new executive director and as tonight's facilitator. Welcome, Vanessa. Okay, so tonight we have uh, our, our pair of disagreeing friends. I'm going to introduce the first one, and then she'll introduce her other friend. So here we're welcoming back Liz Joyner. Um, Liz is my mentor, and um, I might always consider her the boss, even though she keeps telling me I report to the board now. Um, but Liz really has um, changed my life and a lot of other lives too. She had this idea, she saw a problem that we were facing um, 16 years ago before it was on a lot of our other people's radars and she figured out a way to solve it and she created this amazing model that many of you have come to know and love in our community but what you might not realize is that it's a she's a pioneer on the national stage she got into this when there was hardly anybody doing this work and now there's hundreds of organizations and she is the pioneer going all over the US to teach people how we do exactly what we do here in Tallahassee so thanks for being part of that and yay Liz <laughs> All right, now Liz is going to introduce Jacob Hess. So, I'm a fan of short introductions, but I'm going to do a longer one for Jacob. Um, Jacob and I have known each other for nearly a decade, and um, one day we decided to go through a list of sort of policies. You know? I don't think we found one we agreed on, right? 
but we had been working with each other for a long time. He is, my actual husband calls him my work husband when, um, when he calls. And Jacob has come to us from Salt Lake City today. And um, we have done some pretty major projects together. We uh, worked together, we wrote a grant, and we worked together on the project Respect and Rebellion, which basically brings pairs of disagreeing speakers to campuses across the country. And our first two campuses were BYU and, um, and Berkeley. So we decided to kind of, you know, have, have diverse campuses. Um, Jacob is his, he is the author of you're not as crazy as I thought, but you're still wrong. Jacob is not as crazy as I thought, but he is still wrong. Um, his day job is working for a really cool organization called Fight the New Drug, which is, uh, works at, um, um, it's anti-pornography, and it's got an incredible approach to it. And he also is the editor of Public Square Magazine, and he basically does bridge building work in his free time. It's like a hobby for him, and I really think he should get a better hobby soon. Um, but so he's just like one of the busiest people I know. I'm busy, he's busier. Uh, and, and we teach a class together um, for professors on campus at Heterodox Academy. And you know, I'm gonna be here less as Vanessa is here more. And to be honest, he's someone I wanted you all to know before I was here less. He's really important, so help him welcome me. I mean, help me welcome him. Jacob, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming to Tallahassee during a hurricane. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're worth it. Utah boys know all about hurricanes, don't they? Well, my family's reading the news and think I'm an action hero, you know. <laughs> I'm getting out on the last flight out of Nam. Did you, you tell know. your kids there was a hurricane? They didn't know about that, right? Yeah, I mean, they're just reading the national news. <laughs> He was, he was saying goodbye to them, and, and he told me that they were like going, you're going to Florida. <laughs> I mean, Florida was just Disney for me growing up. I've never been here, and it's just a beautiful place. I, I'm in love with Tallahassee, for sure. Um, so tell us, me. since, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so you're in Salt Lake City. You're obviously here in Tallahassee, and with us living in our silos all the time, how did you guys even meet? How did your friendship develop? I wandered into a, a national coalition of dialogue and deliberation meeting where Liz was speaking and... Where he was on the board, right? Yeah, I was In on his the, free time, again. I was on the board right. and I just heard this lady talking about civility and people were actually laughing and having fun and it didn't sound like a high school civics class didn't sound boring, and I thought, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, what, what is this? And so I, I decided we've got to try this in Utah. And I just, I locked eyes across the room with Liz, and <laughs> it's just like something bloomed. <laughs> yeah, so she's come out to Utah and helped us figure out some of these same things. And it's a, it's a dream to be here, I mean, for so many years. Um, I mean, just to illustrate, I was so excited about this. I thought it was so fun. I went door to door in Utah uh, to people in my neighborhood who would have had to buy Girl Scout cookies from me, right? <laughs> and I said, we'll buy you pizza 
just gather with your political opposite and let's talk. I was this excited. Everyone turned me down. And these are people who, who knew me, right? And I called Liz distraught and I thought, I thought this was fun. <laughs> I think it's fun. It's, it's been life-changing for me, you know, because my best friends are like atheists and Marxists and, and it's really impacted me. So uh, I called Liz and she said, Jacob, you need to understand when you, when you make this invitation to your neighbors, you're messing with deep tribal dynamics and people get a creepy comfort. She actually said, there's a creepy comfort in believing that half the country is against you and that you're on the right side, you know, and the barbarians are at the gate. People get something from that. And I was like, wow. So over the years, you know, we've talked like this and it's just been a, it's been a joy. And I'm actually not the first liberal friend that you have. You were, when I met you, you were really good friends with Joan Blades, who is um, the co-founder of the organization Move On. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, and you and you and you've talked about talked to me about sort of that you had kind of a there was there was some there was experience in your life early on that was very sad that happened in graduate school that that kind of changed you. Well, yeah, I was a conservative kid at the University of Illinois studying psychology, and uh, my brother passed away. I've got my wonderful aunt and uncle here. My, <laughs> my brother passed away, and uh, I got the call in the computer lounge, and no one, was out, no one else was there except my lesbian classmate, Adrian. And uh, she knew something was wrong, and just I broke down crying, and she just held me just in this silent embrace. And my, uh, excuse me, those scary liberals, they surrounded me with love. And I, I was just embraced, and not once did I see anyone twirling their mustache, plotting the overthrow of the republic. <laughs> and so I just couldn't listen to right-wing talk radio anymore and be like, no, wait, culture war? No, we have different moral visions and worldviews, but I just fell in love with them. And so, you know, I've had just dear friendship, and it's true, we disagree vociferously about some things, Liz and I, but um, I found a lot of joy in it, and I don't get scared of the differences anymore, you know, even the big ones. So. So great. Well, so you talked about calling Liz at times, and. Um, I wanted to mention something. You joined us for a digital program during the pandemic, and one of the things that I'll never forget is it was this program was actually right after January 6th, and you you called Liz that day. You turned to her, and we were uh, talking about this earlier, and you described how you do often turn to Liz when you have tough things going on, when you're discouraged about stuff, and so my question is, um, what makes you what makes you turn to Liz rather than, you know, other, other people in your circles who might agree with you? And, and what do you get out of that when you turn to her and, instead of maybe some others? Well, we all have people in our life that agree with us already. And it's nice to talk to them too, right? We get something out of the reaffirmation. But I love being able to call up somebody that sees the world differently after January 6th what do you think about what just happened? I was dying to know Liz's thoughts. I knew she was hurting and I was hurting. And 
it's really fun to ask all the questions, you know? Call up my Marxist friend and ask all my hard Bernie Sanders questions. <laughs> and Joan Blades, who Liz mentioned, um, you know, in graduate school, conservative students find out pretty quickly you can't ask everything you want. So I, I do find that a lot of people don't have their political opposite that they can ask everything. But Joan Blades, for instance, was a climate activist. And she's the first person that I could ask all my questions about climate change to and not just be like, oh no, you have questions about the orthodoxy, right? But I found, even though I have different beliefs than Joan about climate, I noticed how scared she was. And I, I had this moment where I realized if I care about Joan, even if I don't believe the same thing she believes, then I gotta care about what she's scared about. And it, all of a sudden I was like, hey, I, I wanna do whatever I can to support her cause. I may never see climate change as the great end times danger to the world. Most Christians won't. Some will. But I think if we could hear each other's fears and frustrations and say, but, but I love you, we don't have to always agree on the worldview. And I think rarely we will. Yeah. I, so I was just remembering you telling me about, you, you, like you were saying something to Joan about how hard it is to do the bridge building work, and she said something like, well, Jacob, is yeah. it, and you have to know Joan, Joan is not a person of faith, um, and she, she said, this is what, sort of what comes out of these relationships, um, well, what exactly did she say? You know, I, I used to be a missionary in Brazil, knocking doors, right, <laughs> and I was really discouraged because nobody seemed to care about civility as much as in Tallahassee, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and I talked to Joan and she's like, come on, Jacob, it's just like missionary work. You just gotta keep inviting people. <laughs> they turn you down. Of course, Joan does that. She's the best missionary I've ever met. She, she, <laughs> she is. just constantly like. <laughs> yeah, but that was a very unlikely person to remind Jacob of his missionary roots, I would say. And actually, I also wanted to say something about the the calling um, and talking, and we talk all the time. Um, but January 6th, I'm sitting in front of my TV and probably like a lot of people, weeping, I was crying. I mean, you know, this has been my life work to see, in some ways to see that is just, um, but then also I'm a DC kid, I grew up there. I felt very personal in ways that were incredibly deep and difficult for me. and. You know, the human thing to happen during those times is, I mean, I was angry, I was upset. And Jacob's call, I mean, I can't, I'm gonna get emotional about it, but um, it was just such a meaningful thing because he called, he, I mean, his main question was, how are you, Liz? How are you? And, and it's weird because like one relationship I think sometimes, you know, we preach this, you know, we've got, we've got, we used to way a long time ago talk about go out to lunch with someone you disagree with, and now we've got this great project, 100 Coffees, and, and the truth is that I, I think one relationship does change everything, and, and I would say from then on, I, I had to be complex in my thinking, right? I couldn't put... Uh, you know, 70 plus million people, and that's a very human thing to do, right? I mean, that's, this, it's human nature, that's what we do. <laughs> I couldn't put them in a box. 
um, because I know Jacob, and because Jacob, and because we talked about it, and I also, I also knew him before and everything, but it was just an incredibly important part. You know, you know how on days like that you have a story, this is where I was, this is what, actually I really was on, on the phone with a local person, and he said to me, I was, I was on a Zoom call, and he said, by the way, the Capitol's being stormed, and I'm going, I thought, yeah, he has a sense of humor, I thought. But anyway, a, a part of my story about that day is about my dear friend Jacob <laughs> checking in on me and wanting to know how I was, and it meant a lot. Yeah, what does Liz think? That's actually what we invite college students to do when we go to campus. Since we know how challenging this is, we give them a dare to think about someone who's your political opposite, maybe even somebody that drives you a little nuts, and spend some time with them asking questions. And those who do it, uh, I teach meditation for a living to stressed out people, which is everyone in America. And you know, when you, when you meditate, you sit with all the contradictions inside, and if you just watch them and hold them from a place of awareness, they change. Not because you're making them change. So my experience of this work is very similar to that, except in the space between us. You know, if I sit with Liz or someone else that's driving me a little nuts, Liz doesn't drive me <laughs> as nuts as others. <laughs> Yay. If we can sit with the contradictions and hold them in a place of generosity, they change. Not the kind of conceptual conversion that everybody's worried about. It's a deeper kind of change where it's like, oh, we still disagree about God and the universe and identity and all sorts of things, but maybe it's okay. Maybe we can actually learn from it. So I think there's a meditative mindfulness kind of way to look at it. That actually makes me think of something because I know I'm going to forget about this. Um, but my mom passed away a couple months ago and um, and Jacob and I obviously talked about that, and um, I get a, a video from him, and it's him, you know, our mascot is a flying pig, it's him in his in a bookstore with his kids, and he's got a flying pig pu puppet <laughs> uh, going around like, in this funny voice. I, I, I fessed up, I sent the video to our members, our village square members, <laughs> it was like, he's gonna kill me. But so it was just, I'm just thinking about the pig. It's just, I'm just thinking about you, Liz. And so when Jacob um, came on, on the plane, I wanted to show you that um, he brought me this as a gift. <laughs> that's amazing. But that's not the end of the story because I had a gift for Jacob that I got him, and I got it for him as soon as he said he was coming to town, and I'm giving it to him right now. Ah! <laughs> That's crazy! <laughs> Before the other pig. <laughs> that is wild. So you're gonna have to bring that thing back on the plane. <laughs> no, I knew you were giggling. That's amazing. I tried to keep a deadpan face when you gave it to me. And explain to people who don't understand the flying pig what it means. So, I mean, actually, the original idea was my daughter drew a flying pig, and, you know, it's when we're going um, to hang out together and have respect when pigs fly, kind of. And the, the idea is sort of to make, to put the mission appropriately as something that's hard and that's kind of durable and a generational challenge, right? It's not an easy thing. 
Um, but then also over the years, it, it is sort of representative of kind of the fact we kind of try to do things in a way that's um, a little lighthearted because it's really boring to be really mad and serious all the time. So. Um, so that's yeah. the village square. At some point, one of our board members said, "Well, if they don't get the village, uh, they, if they don't get the flying pig, then they can't be a village square." So. Yeah, and I, let, just one more thing. It is harder and harder to imagine the likelihood of pig flying in America today. It's yeah. harder and harder for people to imagine this. And Liz and I, our new favorite metaphor for what we're seeing is a divorcing couple. You know, increasingly, we just look around and see people giving up completely on the possibility that their political opposite is anything other than the devil or Hitler. I mean, half the country really does believe that the other half is either lying or actively trying to destroy the country. That is delusional, but it's what the cable news hosts on both sides are saying every night, and they're feeding it up, and there's something pleasurable about that narrative compared to saying most people are doing the best they can with what they know and most people are messing it up on some level, right? That's kind of more of a classic, maybe even Judeo-Christian narrative. We're all, we all fall short, we're all doing the best we can. And, but that doesn't spike the dopamine the same way as the we're the righteous, they're the heathens, we're in a cultural conflict. So it is a moment of peril. I interviewed John Haidt, who's a a big part of what you do. And he told me, our institutions are gonna melt down if we don't make changes. And then he said, and I don't see any indication that our country is ready to make the changes we need. And after he said that, I said, John, I know you're an atheist, but you sound like a Hebrew prophet standing up on the wall <laughs> in your camel skin, you know? And he said, oh, interesting. I haven't read the Hebrew Bible in a while. Like, give me some examples. <laughs> So it's, it's a serious time. So this work you're doing here, it has national implications if we give up on this. So that's why I wanted to come out. Thank you for being here and saying yeah. that. I could not agree more. It's, it's changed me, but that's for another day. So um, you have a question card in the middle of your table. You can either write down a question or you can hold your hands up. And um, yes, we'll bring a not, microphone not to you. And not yet. Oh. Oh, we want you. We want you on the radio too. All right, here we go. Jacob's dad is my brother. He does the best puppet shows with stuffed animals, and that's where Jake gets it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank he, you. he told me that, and actually, I also want to say while while we're um, talking to you is that um, Jacob's uncle and aunt are here temporarily in town. This is totally coincidental. I learned it after I invited Jacob to um, help support the building of the LDS temple on Thomasville Road, which is like a five minute walk from my house. So that was a very wonderful thing and it means that they're here tonight. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask, oh yeah, you're gonna ask a question and then I have one more, you go. What do you disagree on? Two, just name two, the top two. G guns, you disagree on guns, right? Guns in the pandemic, probably. Yeah, I think that's probably the top two. And sexuality and gender and probably race to some degree. Maybe. Maybe a little. Yeah. Actually, you know, here, so one of the things we were talking about, because we were, we were anticipating that question, 
Um, and we were talking about the fact that we really do not spend a whole lot of time talking about what we disagree about. Because in a really weird way, you're gonna, you said this better than I can, but in a weird way, we're, kind of, we're just past that. I kind of assume, yeah, he's, he, he disagrees with mine everything. But in another kind of way, talk about your marriage metaphor that you shared with me about that. Well, yeah, it's like when, when there's tension in your home, you know how everything is a problem, including the dishes and the bathroom and the plans next weekend. Everything is hard. But when you restore that attachment in, in your relationship, do you really solve all that? Probably not. In fact, research shows like 70 or 80% of our conflicts don't ever go away in marriage. But if we have affection with each other, they just don't matter as much. They're not scary. Right, you know. right. And, and really, I mean, one of my big theories about all of this has always been that we're not gonna agree on policies. You don't have a country that's filled with as many free people as we have who are as diverse as we are we're not going to agree. Yeah. You know, politics is going to be a matter of continually disagreeing. Um, but, it, but to me, the problem is, the, the problem is deeper than that. It's more about whether you're, you know, if we're, whether we're a married couple that sort of lives with each other and respects each other and doesn't spend, you know, five hours screaming at each other about the dishwasher. Yeah, and you, you said this morning, Liz, I love that you said, where did we come up with this idea that we're all supposed to agree? <laughs> in America, right? Isn't it kind of weird? Oh, no, no, there's an orthodoxy now about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And you better be in line with it or else, you know. Or else you're out of our group. Like, where does that come from? That's not our, necessarily our country. And yeah, that's exactly, um, you know, kind of where I was gonna go was that a lot of people feel like the purpose of this work is to discuss and then convince somebody to come over to your side. And so um, one of the things that I love that I've heard both of you guys talk about is that that's not actually the point of bridge building work. So why, so why is it important that we, um, that we do this? And so I would like to throw out one of my favorite Liz Joyner-isms is we don't have an information problem, we have a relationship problem. And so um, any, any you kind of been talking about this, but any extra comments that you have about why it is important that we all get involved and do this right now? I, I mean, it, it is weird. I do think that there's something, the thing that we do differently at the Village Square is that we focus on who we are to each other, that we can respect each other, that we can see that we have good intention. That's one of the things that I know about Jacob all the time, no matter how wrong he is. <laughs> He, he, his intentions are so good, and his heart is so big, and I, I think that's true for the vast majority of people. Um, and I think that we're living through this time where there's this just like electromagnetic suck into it's us or them, everything's so two-dimensional. And I mean, I think, I think we're in a moment of real danger right. because it feels like it, it just keeps accelerating. And the other thing I really believe, because I've seen you all, I've known you all all these years, I've spent 16 years um, meeting people who are different than me politically, and they're some of the people I love the most in the world. I still disagree with them politically, but I love them most in the world. And knowing you all for all these years, I, I just, I mean, I really believe, I think that we think, because it's big and a national and it's a gaping wound, that that's where you fix it. 
Um, I, I, am, I am sure that where you fix it is here. In rooms like this, with as many people who are as different as possible, who share a neighborhood, and who can have cross-cutting re relationships like Jacob and I do. Right. So, you know, you completely disagree on politics, and you might fight it out even for your jobs, but your kids play softball together. And we just don't have enough of this right now. And I think it's, I think it's regular people who are going to save us. Yeah. And one of the things I love that you say also is um, the, the strength of asking questions. You know, we're in this place where we like to show up with all our arguments and all our reasons. Um, but you've really talked beautifully about um, how important it is for us to ask questions because that's really where we have that, that room to grow. And you talked about that a minute ago with one of the reasons you call Liz is to ask the questions. So I think that's awesome. Okay, so we have, um, we have a full season of God Squad programs planned that are like such provocative and awesome topics. I can't wait. One of the, our November topic is called Holy Misconceptions. And Holy Misconceptions is Batman. Oh, yes, thank you for that. Yes, the Batman part is very important. Um, so the idea there is where we get the opportunity to just ask. We have diverse faith leaders on the panel at our God Squad programs, and so we're going to have the opportunity to ask them, you know, hey, this is what I heard about your religion or whatever. And so while you are here with us, you're a lifelong Latter-day Saint, and so I wanted to give you the opportunity to share with us what misconceptions do you think are out there about the LDS that you would like the opportunity to address? Hey, thank you. Um, I was just noticing Greg out in the audience. He promised to make faces if I ever got nervous. So <laughs> there you go. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, yeah, you were going to stand up and say, who invited him? Civility bell on Greg's table, please. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably the biggest one is this sense there are meaningful differences across all traditions. This sense that there's some danger or, or um, that some of the differences are dangerous. I mean, my family got kicked out of America 150 years ago, driven out of Illinois, and the guy I'm named after died because it was in the middle of winter. That's why we don't kick out refugees from Utah. We, we have a different attitude about it there. But um, our faith started from a, um, a boy trying to figure out how to know God, and he decided to pray, and had an experience where he saw God and the sun. And that alone is a little too much for people, but the message of Joseph Smith was that you can have an experience for yourself of coming to know God. And that's actually this temple that my aunt and uncle are working on. That's the whole purpose of that temple, is to, to come to know for yourself. So they're volunteers out here for a year, and their whole job is to sit and ask, answer questions there, over there. <laughs> What's that? Two and a half years, yeah. Okay. So that's what I'd say is like there are meaningful differences, but they're interesting, exciting differences rather than scary. Right, right. I'm okay. also talking about like what, I mean, the differences between us are the differences between our parents and our grandparents and sort of the, the faith and the traditions that we keep in our families. And um, we decided that, we, that our next thing we're going to do in your free time is to, um, Jacob suggested that, that 
a good question on airplanes should be, what do you find beautiful? Because we were talking about, sir, um, uh, um, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, and we were talking about services and what we found beautiful. So we're going to put, what, um, what do you find beautiful in um, the seat pockets of all the airplanes across the country? And suggest that we should be asking that question. Because it is, because they're really wonderful things that we can find out about the differences between us. And sometimes we just go straight to the, what divides us about the differences between us. Yeah, and it's also true that some people think this work is about being moderate. That dialogue is about all bringing us to the political center, right? And actually, dialogue is a place of passion and conviction. I think done right, we can hear each other's frustrations, fears, and deep passions, right? If you believe something is true and really important, I want to know. I want to hear it. Wouldn't that be amazing for our country if we could do that? So, yep. Never would I ever have realized that I, I got to, Jacob introduced me to some people high up in the LDS church, and we had lunch overlooking Temple Square, and th that was not on the things I thought I was going to do in my life, and, and actually, you may or may not know this, but, but I actually think that the state of Utah, um, led very much by the LDS church and the relationships they have, is a very different place. I think there's a, there's a center of gravity there that really, they're really working and looking at how to bridge the same divides that we've been working on here. I did so. my best to convince Liz that ice cream was more heavenly than alcohol, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we believe. It's a sacred right. conviction. All right. All right. <laughs> my kids are over here. They would agree with you. Thank you. You guys are really what makes all this work, so thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Great job, you guys. Awesome. Thank you. That was a great job. Corey Nathan here, back with you. I just really appreciated that dialogue and the fact that folks like Liz and Jacob are such good friends. Finding folks across our differences and nurturing real relationships with folks that have different points of view than we do, a whole different political positions, social positions than we do, really enriches our lives and expands our own understanding. I certainly have to do a lot more of that myself and would encourage you all to do the same. And with that, it's time to close out today. Please consider joining our members and supporting this program. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year, and your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate. That's villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. And while you're there, sign up for Village Square's newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Go to villagesquare.us and scroll to the bottom for the sign-up box. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. We appreciate you listening to Respect, Rebel, Repeat, Subversive Friendships for Divided Times. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Out of their sight, she recognizes the building, her cover address. She ducks into the lobby. She's alone. Are they still there, watching, waiting? She was always in danger, and who knows what would happen 
if she was discovered. Welcome to Exile, a podcast from LBI, the Leo Beck Institute, New York. Narrated by screen and stage legend Mandy Patinkin. When everything is taken away, then what? Each episode, an untold story from the archives of the Leo Beck Institute. First-hand accounts of Jewish lives in the shadow of fascism. I mean, she's really going into the heart of the beast. Exile with Mandy Patinkin, a Leo Beck Institute New York and Antica Productions podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.